I just didn't want to be an investment banker. That didn't sound like enjoyable to me. So there is like, what is your energy? What do you want to do? What is your life worth? And then having money not be the only guide, it's only a companion. And when it's a companion, it's useful. When it's a solo artist, it's misleading. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Garrett, Julia, welcome to the show. What's up, Matt? Hey, how are you? Fantastic. I know we were chatting before the show. This is a conversation that I've been dying to have with someone with expert knowledge on, and it's how do we teach our kids about money? And you all are launching a new book the day we recorded this, as you can yeah. see there, I Am Money. Oh, um, yeah. So fantastic timing for this conversation. But before we get into it, let's, uh, let's start with the difficult questions. Garrett, what's your favorite ice cream? So when I grew up, it was Rocky Road, but then now if I'm in the U.S., I'm going to get the chocolate peanut butter ice cream where there's big, you know, chunks in there. Um, but when I'm in Italy, I'm definitely going for they have this like Nutella um, gelato and that's yes. my jam. So I know that's three ice creams, but um, obviously and I got this. There's this place in Utah called Handles and they have like insane ice cream, like graham cracker ice cream. And I don't know, like. They, my, my family always has it around when we, when we go and whatever they always have is pretty good. I love it. Julia, what about you? Bubblegum. Wow. Bubblegum. Perfect yeah. children's book author right there. Like I remember <laughs> as a kid eating the bubblegum ice cream from Baskin Robbins. I, I, I always got that as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can chew the gum after. Yeah. Double. I have got to say that might be the most unique answer I've heard in a very long time. So <laughs> you win that award. This is why she can write to kids. You know what I'm That's saying? That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, um, typically we talk about real estate and all of that on this show, but today we're here to just learn a little bit about how we can teach our kids about money. So uh, we were chatting a little bit before. I have a five and a seven-year-old who we are introducing this concept of money doesn't grow on trees and how we earn it and things like that. Julia, I'll start with you. Um, best-selling kids author, you've written plenty of books relating to kids on difficult topics such as anxiety, stress, and now money. I'm just wondering, give us an idea of when we're trying to teach our kids adult lessons, what's the best way we can communicate that with them? In order to teach a child, you have to enter their view of the world. And so we figured who better to teach kids about money than make money the main character and explain how money feels and how he acts and what he does. And, and so that's my piece of advice is you have to talk kids. And you can take all the knowledge in the world, but if you can't speak kid, then they don't let you in. And, you know, we're supposed to wait, you know, kids want us to wave our magic wands and solve their problems for them. But if we do that, they will live with us when they're 30. And we don't want that. <laughs> we want to give them all the knowledge they need to solve their own problems. And so if you put that knowledge in a storybook and you read the book to the child, they let you in. And then those amazing lessons fall off into their brains and you pull the book away and it sticks with them because then they can relate to the situation. And so they're basically a vessel to take good problem solving skills into their thought processes. 
Yeah, I would typically agree with that because we have a seven-year-old who um, is is going through some adulting with his male emotions. And, you know, we play sports and then we come off of the sports field. We have to be a different person. And we were trying to just talk to him about it. We were We were having some struggles with that. But when we introduced a book that talked about like anger as an emotion and things like that, it seemed to open up a conversation with them. So in your experience, um, is it as easy as just getting a book or is there a better way that we can kind of talk kid to them? And as you said, well, what's I found that if you can find the right book, you read it to them and then you relate what's going on. Like I have a book on anger called Soda Pop Head. And then they realize, you know, how they feel because you can talk through the story. Right, right. So in I Am Money, I understand that you kind of break down the concepts of how to earn money, how to save money, how to spend money, and then most importantly, how we give it to others to help others. Um, I guess, could you talk through in, in the book, for those of that haven't read it, how do we talk to them about this concept of earning money and that money doesn't grow on trees? Well, I'll just read a little bit. It says, you know, there's a lot of ways to earn money. You can mow lawns. You can make a lemonade stand and sell lemonade. You can sing for people. You can even let an investor or a banker use a part of me and then lend it to others. Huh, you work harder than me. And if you're careful and smart about it, I can end up working for you. Now that's interesting. And so, you know, each one of these talks about the things that you, it, Garrett has this thing and it's brilliant. And in that concept that, you know, money chases value. So if you can figure out what your gifts are and you can figure out how to share those gifts with other people who need them, then you can create intrinsic and extrinsic value. And money's just like, you know, icing on the cake. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. Yeah, it's so, funny you say that. As we teach our kids about money, I say it's a store of value and an easy mechanism to exchange value between things. And so uh, Shep was trying to save for a watch out there and he was doing his chores and he was making a dollar a week and those sorts of things. And he's like, I'm just never going to get there. And I was like, well, what problem could you go solve for other people to introduce value to them in exchange? And that's when he had this lemonade stand. He made $37 at a lemonade stand in less than 30 minutes. So I, of course, quit my job and started a lemonade stand. But uh, it's it was a good way for him to learn that, hey, people are thirsty out there. And if you provide them with some sort of value, then you can earn money in return. That's right. And, and, then, and also one of the big important things is your value in life has nothing to do with how much you can buy. We talk about that as well. But the biggest thing is if you can figure out what you love to do and you're good at it, you know, you create value, money chases value, then you can make a ton and then you can do the coolest thing ever, which is share. Because that's the true intrinsic feeling is when you can use your worth to help others. I love it. I love it. Um, Garrett, one of the things that I notice when talking to adults about money is they bring their concept or their views of money from their childhood. They grew up in a family where they said that rich people are evil or money is the root of all evil and those sorts of concepts uh, forward. I guess in your experience, helping entrepreneurs manage their money and um, all the things that you do in the financial world, can you talk to us a little bit about how you've seen adults' view on money shaped by their childhood? If everyone right now listening goes back to their first memory of money, 
their very, very first memory of money. And this is something that happens in childhood. That often shapes so much of the, how they act around money, whether they, how they use it, abuse it, how they run from it, how they run to it, all those factors. I was just talking to someone yesterday and they were talking about how um, their dad was a business owner and they're five years old in the car and the dad made a bad investment and now the business was at, in jeopardy. And he's like, I think we're gonna run out of money. And here's this person at 50 years old, even though they have millions of dollars, always having this conversation in the back of the head, I think we're gonna run out of money because that's what happened at five. Our brains aren't fully functioning. We don't know how to handle that, that data. I remember my first memory and I remember thinking, if I can just make enough money, my family will always be okay. And so I wanted to help my whole family, not just my family, my immediate family, my extended family, you know, because I had this notion of if people don't have enough money, they lose love, they lose relationships, they you lose them. And so there's all this fear that came around with that. And to me, it, it took doing a lot of work, but just recognizing that starts to help us understand. And I look at it almost like people mature in certain areas of their life, but often there's an area of how they view money that never matures because of a pain that happens at a young age. And then they become this system of protection that they build around it, right? They're like, I'm going to protect. I never want to feel that or have that happen again. And anything that's a reminder, whether it's conscious or subconscious, they start to do certain things and preservation and protection that can sabotage production. So that's not really a conversation that's easy to necessarily have with kids. That's why I teamed up with Julia to kind of, you know, talk about this. And I feel like, a, I think parents are going to learn a lot from this book because as they read it, it's fundamental. And a lot of uh, adults get intimidated by money because they think it's only about spreadsheets and math. And the spreadsheets and math are a very small part of the story. They can help us like as one form of language to understand money, but it's not the sole language of money. That's just part of that language. And the other part of the language is our story about how we view money, what we think about money how we use money, how we, you know, all that, that's part of the story. Then there's the spreadsheets that kind of tell us, validate what's happening. And, and so ultimately people just feel like that's so complicated that they never really get this area of their life handled. And what I love about this book is if we can make it less intimidating when they're kids and rather than an example, their parents give them from scarcity, they can actually look in a fun way and be like, oh, here's a notion of invest in yourself. You're your greatest asset. Taking care of the basics is critical when it comes to money. But beyond that, when it becomes your only focus is earning, not on value creation, you're going to find yourself unhappy. And if you're only thinking about yourself and no one else, you're going to find yourself isolated and alone. And of course, Julia says this in a way that's so much more interesting and fun and engaging for kids. But what I love about it is of any book I've written, I know that this book will be read a thousand times more because kids read cover to cover and parents read cover to cover and they read it multiple times. And this is what I think is the magic of a book. Most books, people miss the message because there's too much information in there. But a kid's book distills it to the most important things in the most succinct manner. And the simplicity and elegance of that, I think, is transformative. And so I'm, I'm really excited we're, about we're it. We're hoping, too, that they can use the content as a springboard, you know, to relate it to their own personal issues and the own personal lifestyle and what's going on in their world. And so it's... It's kind of like a recipe for success. Like the books that usually I write, My Mouth is a Volcano, for instance, it's a recipe on how not to interrupt. And this gives you the what to do and how to do it. And then you use this to tailor it toward your own life and your own kids and your own stories. 
and it gives them a framework on which to work on in a fun, upbeat, positive, proactive way. And then there's tips in the back. Which there's not a lot of that I've seen from the kids genre talking about money. And it's all different from wide scales on how we talk to kids about money. Garrett, I want to go back to a comment you said, though, about this idea of math and spreadsheets with money. I believe that all personal finance is personal. And when we're looking at our finances, we're looking at a blend of math and emotion. And the right answer for you, the listener, for what you should do with your money is a blend of both. Mine might skew towards more of the financial piece and the math spreadsheets piece because that's what I'm interested in. Others, it might skew towards the emotional side or the personal side. Um, I guess help us understand as adults, though, how do we define or understand our emotion behind money to really understand where we fall in this math and emotion standpoint? Well, I created this money persona quiz that helps us understand our four shadow personas and the four winning personas. So you're going to be, you know, lead with one of these four personas. And in times of scarcity, that's going to lead you towards sabotage with that isolated shadow persona. But in times of co-creation and collaboration and value creation and, you know, service and solving problems, it could lead you to that winning persona. But it becomes this map to understand the subconscious beliefs that start to sabotage us or the beliefs that actually help us. And so that was one of the more important things I think I've done is create that money persona quiz that anyone can take if they, you know, GarrettGunderson.com or GarrettGunderson.com forward slash quiz. You take that quiz. It's really helpful to understand your language of money and the way that you operate with money and the things that you will do in order to earn money and the bad behavior in earning money and the better behavior in earning earning money. So it's, it's such a good indicator of our success and failure when it comes to our finances. And in that, it's not talking numbers. Like I think numbers are part of the picture. It's helpful, right? But if but you said, you know, there's a peace of mind and there's economics, you know, so I was talking to my brother-in-law the other day and he said there's ROE and ROI, return on emotion and return on investment, right? So that ROE is our peace of mind. How do we feel about it? And there's a lot of people that invest and it actually creates scarcity for them because they don't know what they're doing. It's not aligned with their investor DNA. They're taking risk because they feel like they're too far behind and that's what they have to do. And therefore they start to lose sleep. And that kind of damages them as their greatest asset because their ability to produce an income is one of the most valuable things that they have. And if they then take part of that income and put it something they don't understand at all, it can start to sabotage their ability to be productive. And now it has a negative impact on them individually as well as their finances. And I think far too many people are gambling and calling it investing because the marketing has been just hand your money over to someone that's a salesperson and wait for 30 years while the money's stuck in a retirement plan, never understanding how to create cash flow. And now you're supposed to retire. This is why 95% of the time when people retire, they're not financially independent. They're very far behind because interest rates didn't cooperate. Taxes were different than they expected. Inflation was worse. And they ultimately didn't prepare on creating cash flow. So now they're beholden to an economic market they don't understand or even control because they were told it was too complicated. And yet now that's the the main way that they get their livelihood. And so we have to even rethink how we view retirement. And I like the fundamentals of this kid's book because it takes us to you're the asset, invest in your skill sets, add value to other people. Like it's so common sense once it's read, but it's not common practice in the world of finance. And that's a huge distinction. What's common sense and what's common practice because marketing has manipulated us to forget and forego common sense 
because we feel it's complicated, because we don't feel we have the time, because they have Ivy League education, whatever it might be. And we shirk and abdicate responsibility and find ourselves at the mercy of a market we don't control, at the mercy of a salesperson that's posing as a planner. And ultimately, the system is broken. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I was watching the uh, Netflix has this Bernie Madoff series right now. And um, a lot of individual investors would go to Bernie and be like, hey, help me understand like what you're doing. And apparently like his whole sales tactic was, well, it's a confusing, 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 jargon, jargon, jargon. And if you don't understand it, then I don't have time for you. So just go away. And apparently like that was a really good sales tactic of our marketing tactic around, wow, this must be really confusing. And I shouldn't argue with the fact that I'm getting 9%. It speaks to the book right here. That speaks to the core message. Most people are asking, am I enough? Um, am I going to have enough? How do I earn enough? So this word of enough puts them at a, like, I'm lesser. So they meet with someone who, hey, this guy was president of the NASDAQ, and he's got a bigger home than you, and he's got better friends than you do because of his connections. So it's this entire narrative of, I just have to trust them because they're smarter than me. The whole book says, yes, people might be in some areas smarter than you. But in your area that you're best, you're intelligent. So why not invest in that? Why not develop that? And don't let other people diminish you or demean you to stop doing that because you feel inadequate. And, and that's the thing is we're being trained and indoctrinated is probably the better word, not to invest in ourselves because we're just supposed to trust someone else. And the reason we're supposed to trust someone else is because the marketing has told us that. It's made us feel inadequate and insecure. And because money is a complicated and an emotional and energetic concept and that most people don't face it, they don't have the courage, it's an easy narrative to manipulate. And we know there's billions of dollars going into that manipulation. And people do things that they would never normally do in any other area than money because of that fear, because of that, like, I mean, it's weird. It's weird how much dimension there is to money like how people can have a completely different view of the same thing. Like it's right. not like a color where most people would agree on a color. If we ask people about money, you and I agree, money is a man-made tool of efficiency used to store value. It's a means of exchange. Like we can go through that and agree to it. But I think we could also agree that there's a lot of people that define who they are based upon their money. And they're either afraid and want to- define who they're not. And who they're not, that's a good point. Based on their money. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Yeah. And yeah. so so there's so much energy behind it. And there's some people that are almost ashamed of it. So they like they push it away like they do things for free. They don't value themselves. They you know, all these kind of things that start to happen. So, I mean, there's there's a line in the book that, that you know, people I don't know if it's in the book, but it's in the talk that Julia is doing where. When people say, I can't afford it, we're saying, don't, what if, yeah, what, yeah don't what say that. You, don't say, I can't afford this. Say, what can I do to afford this? You know, we also talk about the smart thing, you know, kids, well, just use your phone to buy it. You know, that doesn't work. Or the smart thing is to think about it overnight. And if you really want that thing, how are you going to circle back to figure out a way to, or, you know, to get it? So that was actually going to be where I took you next. I think we've talked about this idea of earning money and providing value to society, which I think teaching at a young age is super important. But also like one of the things I'm starting to struggle with right now with our kids is teaching them this idea of saving versus spending. And also this idea that it is okay to spend money on things that you value in your life 
Uh, and I think Ramit Sethi talks about like spending money yeah. on these knobs. And this is what I'm going to say yes to all the time, but this is what I'm going to give up in return. So Julia, like, how do we, how do we frame that conversation to a child? So they understand this idea of, of saving versus spending. Well, we put in the book, it says, Hey, fellow investors, before we dive into our next segment of the show, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about a fantastic opportunity for you to invest with me. As you know, here at Ice Cream with Investors, I'm passionate about real estate investing and helping you navigate the exciting world of wealth creation through real estate. And that's why for the first time, I'm thrilled to tell you about an opportunity for you to invest alongside of me. Over the past three years, I've been investing in multifamily, mobile home parks, car washes. I've even become the bank and lent out money to fellow real estate investors on a short-term basis. And now you can come join me. If you would like to jump on a call and learn more about this opportunity, head to icecreamwithinvestors.com slash invest and find a time for us to connect. And now back to the show. Every time you earn me, put some of me in your savings jar. Use a clear jar. Some people like to put me inside of a dark pig. I don't like that because I can't see out and you can't watch me grow. See, so it's full of adult humor too. And then you talk about saving money for a rainy day is important because, you know, things happen that we just don't count on, you know, and we could talk about things like, okay, our furnace went out. So we needed you know, to buy a new furnace and, and you don't have to burden kids with facts if you present them with realistic facts you don't burden them with your financial woes but you want to be real with kids but then you say this important part here yeah, which this is, part this, yeah. was, this was garrett he says no 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 you don't always want to save 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 sometimes when it's not raining and you want to spend some of your money that's okay too yeah that's an important it's message so important to enjoy he, what, yeah if we if we go speak to a hundred adults and we say when i say the word expense how does that make you feel? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? And it's like negative, but it's the only way we utilize money. Like one person's expenses, another person's income. So if I say, when I say the word income, how does that make you feel, right? They're gonna feel good about income, bad about expense, which actually is at odds for exchange. And it's exchange that creates wealth. And so if they just start getting a mindset of, I got a budget and restrain and scrimp and sacrifice and defer and delay, then money becomes something that they're at odds with. It's and it's and it's so frustrating for them because they're never going to shrink their way to wealth, but they're being told in a very, very rudimentary fashion that's the only way to get there. Well, that means that they're going to be like Ebenezer Scrooge, and the whole thing in the Christmas Carol was, "Hey, you can sit here with all the money in the world, but if you pushed everyone in your life away because money was your god, then guess what? You're going to be isolated, alone, and miserable, and you actually create misery in other people's life who love you." And then he goes, "Well, why don't I wake up one day and be like, hey?" there's abundance. I can make money. Why don't I share? And guess what? More people are going to want to be around like, yeah. like or the Grinch. Yeah. Or the Grinch. <laughs> the like, Grinch. and I love that you're using the Grinch as like part of this, like the heart growing as right, he right. shares. Right. Well, and the one thing about it is too, is, you know, when you're saving, it's not a negative. You're paying yourself first. That's a Garrett thing, you know, pay yourself first. And that phrase right there takes saving into a more positive attribute as opposed to negative and we love that part yeah, yeah I mean, I'm I, really language go ahead and no i like the idea of the ebenezer scrooge because we watched that during the holiday season as well and one of the things we were trying to teach the kids about is like it doesn't matter how much you have or how much money you have or the things that you have if the people that love you you don't love back or the people around you don't care about you so we were trying to teach them people over things in that message but 
Um, I do like the Grinch idea of your heart grows when you give. This year, my five-year-old grandson, I had him take his own money, which was really hard to do, and go and take a a tree um, name and buy a gift for a little boy at Caracor. And he went and paid his own money and picked out the gift for the kid and then delivered it to our homeless shelter, not to the child itself. And I said, you'll be amazed. Your heart will grow. And he didn't believe me. I mean, he's just very much about getting that money himself. And uh, he he got in the car and he goes, I can't put my seatbelt on. I said, why? And he says, because my heart's too big. It won't fit. <laughs> and I just, it was priceless because he got it. You know, he'll never forget that. And it's a feeling that you get when you share. It's, I don't know, you need a lot of that. Yeah. And, and I love that you all included not only how to earn, save and spend money, but this idea of giving it away because we can't do anything to change the world without giving our money away um, and giving it to better time. So I, I guess like I, I'm interested from you, Julia, it sounds like you have some uh, kids in your family and then Garrett, I don't, I'm not sure if you have kids, but how did you teach those concepts to children about Hey, you have money. You could absolutely spend it. You could absolutely save it. But giving it out can help improve the world as well. Well, the first thing you don't you don't give what you can't have. And sometimes our kids think they have to give it all. And you need to provide. Garrett's really strong about this. When you have to provide for your own needs and your own shelter, food, clothing, etc. And once you're solid in your, then you share. You know, then because not in a selfish way, but in a, you know, a maintenance way. So, you know, sometimes kids get the feeling that they give everything away and, or, and that's insecure for them, or they feel like they have to give it away if they get it. And it's really important that we don't give away what we don't have, but kids learn by doing, they don't learn by lectures. They don't learn by conversation. They learn by experience and feeling. And so reading with a child, you can create experience and feeling but actually doing things with your kids. Um, and the book can be an outline for that, but you know, having a bank that, and, and having them earn the money and save the money and spend the money and, and, and have them try to go up and, and pay for a, a toy that they don't have enough money for, not in a humiliating way, but they understand, I'm sorry, you don't have enough money for that. You can't just tell them I don't have enough money for that. They have to. Right, which is which is a great time to have a conversation about how did this toy end up here? Who made the toy? You know, who transported the toy? Who's selling the toy? Like these are all people giving of their energy, giving of their time, and that's just getting up and be like, oh, I want that. Great. How are you going to contribute so that you know? And it, it, that'd be it interesting. Used, it used to be easier barter, because it was, right? a, it was it was a, a token economy. You give the dollar and you don't have the dollar anymore. Now it's you pay with Venmo or you know it's, it's really difficult to teach kids. So using money, right? Just help them understand their value, the value of, you know, exchange, the value of how something gets built and created. Because like we look at material things a lot of times as the material, but I'd almost like to look at it like if it was like the matrix, like it would be cool to see what everything happened from the person that had the idea to the conversations that happened to the resources of people and materials and finances and, you know, like what it takes for something to come about. And, and we just are in a world where everything's such immediate gratification. Well, you buy it and then you pay for it right. later. And, and you, it, what about you just go online and you click yeah. and it shows up at your house. Yeah. So it's almost like, it's kind of like I hunt 
So like, I understand what it takes to get food, you know, I, I, and it's difficult sometimes. I mean, I'm out there for, you know, in cold weather, I'm taking an animal two miles. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's work. Now people just hit, you know, DoorDash or whatever it is, and it shows up. And, and the problem is the more disconnected we get from the center of the value, the more likely we're going to be entitled, the more likely we're going to be spoiled, the more likely we're going to be in these in this false idea of like, this is where people can believe in communism. Communism is a belief that these things just appear that nobody actually has to do the work to make it happen. So like, hey, everybody's gonna get free housing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's providing that free housing? How does that come about? And when it comes about by force rather than freedom, it's never a quality product because then it's only like what they have to do, not what they get to do. And so that's another message for kids is like, hey, what, what do you get to do? Like if we can help them get clear about what a career path could look like, not based upon just doing what everybody wants them to do, but finding what path they want to do. And if they understand that money may be a byproduct of that and that they might not make as much, choosing like I would have made more money in my 20s being an investment banker. I just didn't want to be an investment banker. That didn't sound like enjoyable to me. So there is like, what is your energy? What do you want to do? What is your life worth? And then having money not be the only guide, it's only a companion. And when it's a companion, it's useful. When it's a solo artist, it's misleading. It's a, and then interesting. You can't, expect, you can't expect your kid to, when they give, automatically feel that. You have to plant those seeds. You know, hey, I know when I give, my heart gets so big. It just feels so good. And then after your child does that, you say, how's your heart? You know, you kind of have to tap yeah. into that and, Oh yeah, it does. You know, so you have to remind them and and grow that feeling of charity in their hearts. They don't just not automatically have that. And it so. helps them identify emotions, which I think every kid right. needs a little nudge in the right direction on. Right. Yeah. Um, right. I think this idea too, we're, we're ultimately with the Venmo and the credit card and everything just shows up instantly. We're talking about this idea of friction in my mind. Um, I think the best self-love you can give yourself is adding friction into your life, whether it's working out or not taking the dopamine hit on your phone, locking yourself out of your phone or not uh, putting things on credit card that you can't afford and things like that. So it's this idea of adding in friction makes you appreciate something more. And so going up to the counter and not humiliating them, but getting them to be being told no by somebody other than you on why opens up a conversation as well and makes them appreciate it. You only grow when you're uncomfortable. I mean, humans don't grow when they're comfortable. So learning is never a real comfortable feeling. I just, my blog that I wrote last week was all around that topic. Yeah, Talking about, you know, like when times are up, like everything's just going in flow and it's great. Like, you don't learn as many lessons no. as when it's like difficult and there's a struggle, but you come out with so much. Like some, I'm saying, sometimes you grow your net worth or cash flow. Other times you grow yourself. And you know, and you those could, don't you, always go at the same you rate. Say to your 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 child, you know, I don't think you have enough money for that, but you can try it. And if you don't, then come back and we'll figure out what to do. And you know, you don't you don't have them get devastated or humiliated yeah. or anything. You create the you create the learning experience that is proactive, not reactive and not destructive, but you, they learn by doing kids learn by doing, they learn by smelling and seeing and feeling and doing not by us telling them. Yeah. I, uh, 
I feel like I'm hearing a repetitive message here because sometimes I like to uh, try to rationalize with kids and I've learned that they don't learn from rationalization. They've got to learn and do. Yeah, I like that the book speaks kid, you know, like I've had some friends I sent the book to before it came out and they'll film reading it to their kids and the conversation that it sparks. And it's really, do you know, awesome do you know how we met? This is how so is that? Cool. We were, I was on a plane coming back from or coming from Nebraska to Salt Lake and I overheard him talking to his book agent and, and he has my voice cool projects. Voice. I can't, I can't help yeah. you. <laughs> I'm like, who is that? And I'm listening and, and I realized, Oh my gosh, he's an author. Ironically, we sat next to each other and we struck up a conversation. I told him I was an author and he said, well, I've always wanted to write a, a book for kids on money, but I don't speak kid. And I said, well, I've always wanted to write a money book. I have an idea, but I don't speak money. And by the end of that flight, it was a deal. So yeah. serendipity happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then my, my agent research, like was made a list of who he wanted to take the book to. And this, this, uh, our publisher had been wanting to work with Julia, but they would never approach her because she'd written other books. And, out of respect for the other publishers. So it ended up being a, a really good situation. They didn't, that publisher doesn't, didn't know who I was. Now they do because when they're trying to book podcasts, a lot of people in the financial world know me and a lot of the podcasts are financial, but they knew Julia because they, you know, she sold so many kids' books. We, over talk, the years. we were talking and they pulled one of my books off the shelf and said, We use Bubblegum Brain every day. <laughs> you know, and that blew us away. Yeah. So we, it was fun. It's a, it's been a great ride and we are really excited to, figure out what it does and change a, a match, a match made in heaven to talk about money right. and uh, to kids with you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to switch us to the last round here. Typically we ask four toppings, but today we're only going to ask two to two different people. So that equals four, I guess, Julie, I'll start with you. Our first one is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, I think in order to teach a child, you have to enter their view of the world. I, I like it. Garrett, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Man, I just got the best advice from my wife. Like it was 2023 was a rough year. And I talked about I was rewriting my book, What Would the Rockefellers Do? And I'm like, man, there's stuff in here that I made a mistake on that I'm saying I'm going to teach my kids. And she goes, well, if you do teach your kids, it's not a mistake. Like it was a big lesson that you learned all the way. So let's make sure we teach the kids. And I was just like, A, it released me of feeling any guilt and shame and, you know, bad. And B, it was like, yeah, like it, it, so we had a meeting yesterday with our kids and then we started talking about we're having another meeting today and another meeting tomorrow. So we're just going to like, we're having these conversations and it's cool. Cause even my oldest son, we we're hanging out at new year's Eve. And he was like, well, you know, as you say, dad, you want to build a life you don't want to retire from. So it's like there it's sinking in, you know, um, they listen, but really I thought that was just like, it's the most recent advice that my wife gave me that just made me feel so much better. And it was like a sense of relief, you know, because as the author, I should know these things. And I have, I do know them, but it doesn't mean that we don't make emotional mistakes or, you know, have, have excuses or reasons or busy seasons or whatever it is. But for whatever reason, it was like that one piece of advice in the book. It's like from our family constitution, it's towards the end of the book. I was like, man, this really hit me. She's like, well, let's, let's not just leave it with you. Let's talk to the kids so they don't make that same mistake. And I thought about that. It really went, really me down a road of new wealth versus old wealth. And like, I was like, it was fascinating where that conversation took me. I love it. I love it. Yeah, we were talking about money and spreadsheets earlier. I mean, even me, somebody that I'd live in the space of money, I still make emotional decisions. So I want listeners to feel out there that it doesn't have to be all scary and spreadsheets. 
Yeah. Um, Julia, our second one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Jennifer Garner. Uh, why? My, I recently lost a really my niece to cancer. And when she was sick, uh, Jennifer Garner reached out to her through uh, Make-A-Wish, I believe, through the hospital and became her online friend. And um, she gave her a dolly. Her name was Molly. And she gave her a Molly Llama that her daughter had picked out for her. So as famous and as amazing as she is, she has her feet grounded in, in kids and true authenticity. And I'd just like to tell her thank you in person someday for reaching out to my niece. Over some bubblegum ice cream. Yeah. Garrett, how about you? If you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? And I got like three people at my head big time. I'm trying to select from the three. Um, I really want to sit down with my great grandfather, Biagio. I never really met him. I was, when I did, I was too little. And he left Italy to come to America and, you know, lived in a tent for seven years and didn't meet his daughter until she was seven years old and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'd, I'd love to sit down and talk to him, like, and understand his life. I went, I, I flew out and took my, my uh, kids to where he was from and this little small town. It took us a long time to get to and just like understand what that track was like. You know, it, yeah, that would be pretty cool to have a conversation with him. I miss my grandfather a ton. I'd love that uh, his son. I'd love to just hang out with him again and have ice cream. But yeah. You didn't see his daughter until he was seven. Yeah. So his wife was pregnant. He couldn't provide and decided to come to America as a way to provide for the family, send money back and and basically was able to, you know, provide. But it didn't it took seven years to save up for a house and be able to pay for them to come to America and be in a stable place. So his, he didn't get to meet his daughter until she's seven years old. Yeah. Makes you appreciate all the things we have today. Dude, my wife went to India for 40 days and I could barely make it. Like I was, I was like struggling. I was like calling her. I missed her so bad. And, you know, and like, I was like breaking down by the time she got home, that was 40 days and I could talk to her on the phone, you know? Yeah. So we have it a little bit easier. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Garrett, Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show. A uh, very timely conversation as we enter the new year here. We are recording this on January 2nd. The book actually launched today. So I appreciate the special appearance. If our listeners wanted to reach out to either of you or get a copy of I Am Money, where is the best place we can point them? GarrettGunderson.com. Best way to reach out to me. Um, you know, I've, I've got a blog on there. I've got, and I do comment on all that. I have a YouTube channel I do post to quite frequently. I do respond to the majority of the comments, some of the comments I don't know people are talking about. And I do respond even when they're mean to me. Those are my favorite responses is I just like to be snarky with them. But um, yeah, those are probably the best ways um, on my side. And then right now, the book, the best place to get the book would be like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, stuff like that. Um, I'm going to start selling it for my website this month. Uh, I just bought a bunch of copies. The hard copy is out now. Uh, the soft copy releases in a month, but the hard copy is really pretty. And, it's awesome. And the, I can't believe shiny. it's only $15. That's crazy. It it's is. such it's, a good it's deal. It's not bad. It's $14.99. Yeah. yeah. Um, my books are juliacookonline.com, but right now for this book, it's uh, amazon.com. And then I'll list it later. So. Perfect. We will link all those in the show notes. And then Garrett and Julia, thanks for coming on. Thank you thanks very for much. Me, Matt. Thanks for having us, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.